So has everyone recovered from that game? If you have, with me, take a deep breath. That was quite a baseball game on Thursday afternoon. It sucked all the life out of me. But the Orioles won the game and won the series against the Royals. Their seventh straight series win. And I'll recap a wild one in Kansas City coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Friday, May 5th, 2023. And welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we are going to recap quite possibly the wackiest game of the year for the Orioles. As in a back and forth affair, they defeat the Royals 13 to 10 to win the series and win their seventh straight series at that. I'll get you the five things you need to know from the game. Talk a little bit about just the weirdness of this game and how it made me feel as a fan. And then we'll do a little bullpen trust power rankings and finish it off by previewing a very fun series coming up between the Orioles and the Braves. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast, which is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on that journey of self-discovery from wherever you are. Visit betterhelp.com slash MLB to get 10% off your first month. So we got to jump into what the heck just happened on Thursday afternoon. Final score, Orioles 13, Royals 10 from Kauffman Stadium in Kansas City as the O's win two out of three in KC, taking the series. They get to 21-10 and 10 on the year, and they have matched the 2014 Orioles by winning seven consecutive series, although this by the 2023 Orioles is pretty early in the season, whereas the 2014 team did it a little bit later. But I'm going to get you the five things you need to know from this wild Orioles win over the Royals. And the first thing you need to know is Ramon Arias just stepped up to the plate late in this game and said, we are not losing this one to the Royals. Arias, who did not get the start in this game with the righty Jordan Lyles on the hill, comes in in a huge spot. Top of the eighth inning, Orioles had just blown the lead completely. They're trailing 9-8, to eight, top of the eighth inning, and the O's start a rally against Aroldis Chapman, who had been really, really good this year for the Royals, but he just fell apart in this outing, which was very funny to see here against the O's. He walks Adam Frazier. Frazier ends up stealing second and third. He walks Jorge Mateo, who then steals second. And all of a sudden, you've got Arias up there, and Ramon Arias comes through, lining a two-RBI single into left center field off the glove of the third baseman, but it trickled through. It scores Frazier and Mateo and gives the Orioles in 10-9 lead. It wasn't hit hard. Only 74 miles per hour off the bat, but it did the job for Arias that put the Orioles up. And then they had that 10-9 lead in the top of the ninth. They had the bases loaded with one out. And who comes to the plate again but Ramon Arias. And the way this game was going, they needed some insurance. And they certainly did because they still gave up a 10th run in the bottom of the ninth. But Arias delivers again with a two RBI ground rule double in the ninth out to right center field that made it 
a 12-9 game, gave the Orioles the cushion that they needed in that ninth inning. Really, it felt like the Orioles couldn't have had a big enough cushion the way this game was going. But two huge hits, only two at-bats in this game. He drove in four runs off the bench for the Orioles. First Oriole to do that since 2015. What a game it was for Arias. And he is kind of becoming the clutch bat for the Orioles. According to Fangraphs, in what they call high leverage situations, generally it's seventh inning or later, and I believe a two-run game or less. Ramon Arias, and generally it's with base runners on too, I believe. Ramon Arias is now six for eight with nine RBIs on the season in high leverage situations. Maybe the clutch gene has gone to Ramon so far this year. Second thing you need to know from this one is that Gunnar Henderson might be turning things around just a little bit. We talked yesterday on the episode about how Anthony Santander was maybe turning things around. Well, he certainly kept it up. Santander had a two for five with a homer. He now has four of his last five games with multiple hits. Well, Gunnar Henderson got himself a home run in Thursday's game. His third of the season was an absolute blast into right field for a two-run shot that extended the Orioles' lead to 8-1 to one in that third inning. Now, it was the only hit for Henderson as he went one for two, but he also drew a walk in this game, did not strike out. And that home run, he just turned on an inside fastball, and that thing got out of here in a hurry for Henderson. 107.4 off the bat, 425 feet. It would have been a home run in all 30 ballparks. That's what you like to see. John Mioli wrote a good piece about Henderson in the Baltimore Banner this week, talking about how he's been so patient that it might actually be hurting him a little bit, how patient he has been. But he attacked the second pitch of the AB to hit that homer, and that is a great, great sign for Gunnar Henderson. Now, it didn't keep him in the game because when Ramon Arias had the two-run go-ahead single in the eighth, he was actually pinch-hitting for Henderson against the lefty Chapman. So still a ways to go for Gunnar, but a huge sign on Thursday afternoon. Third thing you got to know from this one is quite generally the Orioles offense was on one once again after they scored 11 runs on Monday night, then were shut out for the first time this season on Tuesday night, were lifeless in the 6-0 loss. They come back and score 13 more runs on Thursday afternoon. A wild offense. And they got it started quickly. I mentioned the Santander two-run homer in the first. Cedric Mullins had a bases-clearing double in the second, then a Jorge Mateo RBI single and a Gunnar Henderson two-run homer. All of a sudden, the Orioles were leading 8-1 to one going into the bottom of the third inning, and they were massacring their old friend. It was Jordan Lyles who was on the hill for the Royals, first time facing the O's since they decided not to pick up his team option and bring him back for this season. Lyles has not been good this year. It continued today. Eight runs, six earned on six hits over five innings. Has now a 6.69 ERA for the Royals. That is not good. But the Orioles jumped all over their old friend. Now, there was a little lull in the middle innings. Fourth through seventh, they did not score. But then, as I mentioned, when they needed the offense and they blew the lead, the rally came again. Two in the eighth, three in the ninth to pile things on and win a huge game. And the other big thing was the Orioles only walked one time. One time in Wednesday night's game. They've been walking machines this year, but didn't really do it much on Wednesday. They turned it back around. Nine walks as a team. 
on Thursday to only six strikeouts at the plate is a very good number for the Orioles. I mentioned the Mullins big hit. Ryan Mountcastle had a double and a walk in this game. Santander had the homer. Kyle Stowers drew a walk. Adam Frazier was two for three with two walks in this game. Mateo had an RBI. Henderson had the two-run homer. Arias was big. Even James McCann got himself on base a couple of times in this game. Really the only guy who didn't do much was Adley Rutschman who had an 0 for 5. But he still had a walk and still got on base at least once in this game. Fourth thing you need to know from this one is that on the pitching side, it was not good for the Orioles. Despite how good the offense was, they got clobbered again by the Royals' bats, who came into this series averaging just 3.3 runs per game. That was the lowest in all of Major League Baseball. And yet the Royals scored 7, 6, and then 10 runs on 16 hits in Thursday's game. That was a little concerning. Now, the Orioles, you know, they issued six walks. That's not a terrible number in nine innings, but still not great. And really, Grayson Rodriguez was the main culprit here. He was not good in this start, and this was easily the worst start of Grayson Rodriguez's career. He lasts only three and two-thirds innings, allowing six runs on eight hits, struck out three, walked one, and allowed three home runs in 77 pitches. There were eight hard-hit balls against Rodriguez. And he had some swing-and-miss stuff early. I mean, the first inning, right, has been his huge issue this year. He dominated in the first inning in this one. He looked good. Then he gave up a run in the second, but got through it pretty cleanly. And then the third inning just fell apart on him. He gives up a leadoff homer to Freddie Fermin, who apparently is a Rookie of the Year candidate now. Just got called up and goes three for four in this game with a triple, a homer, a walk, and two RBIs. Then he gives up a two-run shot to Salvador Perez in that inning. Then he comes back out in the fourth and gives up another couple of runs, gives up a homer to Kyle Isbell. Fermin triples, ends up coming into score later in the inning. It was just not good for Rodriguez. And now, he was much better than Kyle Gibson was, at least in terms of swing and miss on Wednesday night when Gibson also gave up six runs. But it still wasn't pleasant. I mean, Rodriguez only had six whiffs, four on his fastball. His changeup, which has been his great pitch over the last couple of weeks, zero whiffs on the change. It just was not there. The cutter was a little better, but he really didn't have his off-speed stuff. He didn't have his slider. He didn't have his curveball. He threw nine breaking balls out of 77 pitches. He just didn't have the feel. The changeup wasn't there. And that was the issue. The fastball can only be so good. And he was 95 to 98 with that pitch. But it just wasn't enough. He was getting hit hard. And I mean hard in this game. Some of those home runs were rockets out of a big ballpark in Kansas City. A little concerning that it happened against such a bad offense. But I will say the all the O's pitchers did not look good against this offense this week. Orioles starters in this series, Tyler Wells, Kyle Gibson, Grayson Rodriguez. I think you could agree that coming into this series, at least right now, you would credit those three as being the Orioles' three best starters right now. Kramer struggled and Bradish has struggled recently. Those three guys combined to give up 16 earned runs in only 16 and two-thirds innings. That was an 8.82 ERA for Orioles starters. Now, luckily, the offense and the bullpen did enough to win the series, but it's very similar to that Oakland series back in Baltimore where the O's did win three of four and their starters were somehow horrible against a terrible offense. They just kind of got enough hitting and bullpen depth. But something to be aware of. I have confidence Grayson will bounce back. This was just a tough start in this one. CNL Perez, shaky again. Brian Baker didn't look good for the first time. Danny Coulomb gave up multiple earned runs for the first time. 
Shaky day for the Orioles pitching. But the fifth and final thing you need to know is that, once again, who else but Yinier Cano saved the day in this one. After Danny Coulomb had allowed the Royals to tie the game in the bottom of the seventh inning, left with runners on first and second, and nobody out. And this was after Coulomb had gotten big punch outs in the sixth inning to keep the O's in the lead. Cano comes in. Now, he does give up a very fluky, just end of the bat, reach out there and poke it, go ahead RBI single to Bobby Witt, but that run was not charged to him. Cano then comes back. He finishes off the seventh, keeps it a 9-8 game. Orioles take the lead. Then Cano goes 1-2-3 in the eighth, ends up going two innings, one hit, no runs, three Ks, no walks, 32 pitches, still is not allowed a run in 14 innings of work this year. Yinier Cano continues to be just magnificent. Five whiffs in this one. Didn't have his best stuff, but was still good. And then the Orioles turn it over to Felix Bautista, who once again looked really, really shaky. It wasn't a safe situation. It was a 13-9 game, but Bautista hadn't pitched since Sunday, so they wanted to get him into this game. I didn't love what I saw once again. He had no command of anything. Ends up giving up a run on a hit, three Ks and two walks, but it took him 32 pitches. He had no fastball command whatsoever. The changeup, he found it by the end of the inning. That was how he struck out Bobby Witt and struck out Hunter Dozier to end the game, which was huge, but he had no changeup command early in the inning. Had to go to the slider a couple of times. It was scary to watch, but Bautista did get it done, but it raises the question right now. I don't think it's going to happen now, would the Orioles consider a role change here? Cano's not letting anybody on, and Bautista's struggling a little bit. Could a flip-flop Cano into the closer role just temporarily, allow Bautista to pitch in some less high-leverage spots and kind of find that command, find that release point again? It's something the Orioles could consider. But this was just one of the wildest games I've ever seen. And I tried to recap it as well as I could right there, but I think I need another segment to really roll through what happened in this game. So coming up next, going to talk more about this one, why it was so crazy, how it made me feel, how it may have made you feel as a fan, and what this Orioles season is going to be like if they have more and more games like this. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by Rocket Money. Think about this right now. Do you know how much your subscriptions really cost with how many things you're subscribed to? Most Americans don't really know, but their total is close to $200 a month for the average American. And if you don't know exactly how much you're spending every month, you need Rocket Money. Okay? You just need it. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. And 80% of people, they have prescriptions, or subscriptions, I should say, they forgot about. Chances are you're one of them. And Rocket Money will quickly and easily find the subscriptions for you. And for any you don't want to pay anymore, just hit cancel and Rocket Money will cancel it for you. It is that easy. Over 3 million people have used Rocket Money and they've saved an average of $720 a year. So stop throwing your money away. Cancel unwanted subscriptions and manage your expenses the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash locked on MLB. That's rocketmoney.com slash locked on MLB. One more time, rocketmoney.com slash locked on MLB. So the Orioles have played some weird, wacky, crazy games this year. That had to be the craziest one, right? <laughs> they win it 13-10 to 10 to win the series, but, you know, this is a game after the O's just had such a stinker of a performance on Wednesday night. Losing 6-0, offense terrible, Kyle Gibson gets hit around. 
you just feel like, okay, you're playing a terrible Kansas City team. They've got eight wins. You got to come back and win this series. You got Grayson Rodriguez on the hill who came into this start with 14 consecutive scoreless innings. You're feeling good. You get a two spot in the first on the Santander homer after somehow MJ Melendez just drops a ball down the right field line, extends the inning. Santander swinging 3-0, just blasts a ball into right field off his old friend Jordan Lyles to give the O's a 2-0 lead. Santander's homer 101 off the bat went 406 feet. Would have been a home run in every ballpark in baseball, according to StatCast. And then Rodriguez looked strong and got a quick zero in the bottom of the first. Then you go to the second, you load the bases. Cedric Mullins rips one off the wall in right center field. It scores all three runners. You know, he, he mashes that ball 104 off the wall. It's all of a sudden 5-1, to one and you're 5 nothing. Yeah, Grayson gives up a run in the second, but that's okay. You have the big inning in the third. You got Gunner's two-run homer. It's 8-1 to one heading into the bottom of the third, and Rodriguez is looking solid. You're feeling like, okay, you get Rodriguez through five. You go to the lesser bullpen guys. You win the game. You get a blowout win. You win your series. Well, Grayson fell apart. All of a sudden, it was 8-4. to four, Then it was 8-6. to six, Then it was 8-7. to seven. And, I mean, I thought it was going to fall apart in the sixth. I mean, Brian Baker looked terrible. He loaded the bases, got only one out. He walked two batters. And then Danny Coulomb comes in and strikes out back-to-back guys to keep the O's up 8-7 and strand the bases loaded in the sixth. And you're thinking, all right, we got to the good guys. Coulomb, he's been great. And then he falls apart in the seventh, gives up two runs. And all of a sudden, it's 9-8. And then the Orioles just battle back against Chapman. They get two in the eighth. Then they just load the bases again in the ninth, get three more. And you're thinking, okay, it's going to be easy. Here comes Bautista. Nope. Bautista walks a couple of guys. Tying run comes to the plate in the form of two different batters, Bobby Witt Jr. and Hunter Dozier, who both have big power and have both hit the Orioles extremely well in their careers. Luckily, Bautista found the splitter to those two guys, struck them both out with it at the end of the game. But the emotional roller coaster that we went on on this game, I mean, you just had these plays in this game where the Royals are hitting all these homers and you have Cedric Mullins just kind of drop that fly ball in the sixth inning. It was hard. And the O's, I mean, they get it done, right? They win their seventh straight series. And they finish up this 22-game stretch that I've talked about a lot here on this podcast. 22 consecutive games against what I would consider kind of bad teams, right? Now, it turns out the Red Sox are playing better. They were in this stretch. The Red Sox are now four games above 500, But the O's still won that series. But in this 22-game stretch against teams when it started, were either at or below 500. I talked about how if you're the O's, you know, if you can go 14 and 8 at the least, that puts you in a good spot. Maybe if you can get to 15 and 7. The Orioles go 17 and 5 in this 22 game stretch. They win all the series during the stretch, 17 and 5, and they are now 21 and 10. Now, the Rays are playing at a ridiculous pace, and they're still four and a half games behind the Rays, but the Orioles are kind of solidly in second place right now. Blue Jays haven't been playing well recently. Yankees haven't been playing very well recently. They're solidly in second place in a wild card spot. I get that it's 31 games out of a 162-game season, but it's fun to see that. But I think what Thursday taught us is that I think there's going to be games like this. Like, even opening day, didn't this feel a lot like opening day, that crazy back-and-forth game where the O's finally win it over Boston? At times, today's games felt like the second game of the year. The Ryan McKenna drop and the walk-off homer by Adam Duvall felt like we are going to be crushed like that. But the O's found a way to battle back. They've done it a lot this year. I don't know if I can handle many more games like this because I don't know about you all, 
But I was exhausted. The moment this game ended, the moment Bautista got Hunter Dozier to chase strike three on a splitter in the dirt to end the game, and he was representing the tying run at the plate, and he struck him out. I was sitting already. I just kind of like slumped down on the couch. Like, I, I didn't move for a little bit. I was literally exhausted by this baseball game. And you know what? The Orioles pitching has gone in waves. Their starters were not good in this series. They've been a little better. Their bullpen was bad early. It's been dominant lately. It was not good, I'll tell you that, except for Cano on Thursday, but it's been generally good. The offense has been generally good. I know they were terrible Wednesday, but that is an unhinged team. If any of you out there like me are big University of Maryland baseball fans, and I've talked about them a little bit here on this podcast, but... That's the way I've gotten used to watching them play baseball over the last three years. They have one of the best lineups in the country. They have a couple of pretty good starting pitchers, but they don't pitch super deep into games. And then they essentially have no bullpen, like literally no bullpen. So Maryland wins these back and forth games like 11 to 8 all the time. And it wears on you, but I kind of expect it every time the Terps take the field. In Major League Baseball, it's a little bit different. I don't necessarily expect it every time. And the O's aren't going to play games like this every time. But I say this just to say, like, it was exhausting, but maybe expect it to happen more. Because the starting pitching is shaky. And although the bullpens looked good, there's still a lot of unproven arms in there. And maybe it gets better when Tate and Givens come back. But this offense can just get hot at any time and can come back at any time. And the O's are never out of a game. That's the big part. The flip side is it feels like the O's are never going to run away with a game, but they're also never out of a game. That makes for a heart-wrenching season. But it could also make for a season that gets this team to the postseason. Now, I don't think this roster is ready to really advance in the playoffs right now and be a legitimate threat, but they're good enough to get to the playoffs. And if it means I have to endure games like this, I might not be okay with it in the moment because... I was stressed, I was angry, I was upset, I was elated, I was sad, I felt every emotion during Thursday's game. But I'll get through it and you'll get through it. If this means this could be a playoff team this season. But you know, because that game was so wild, it's funny, you know, the bullpen definitely had played a part in that game kind of getting out of hand because they weren't nearly as locked down as they've been recently. So to end the week here, I want to do my third edition of the Bullpen Trust Power Rankings for the Orioles. Haven't done one of these since the bullpen got really good again. So where do I place the current eight Orioles relievers? I'll tell you that coming up after this. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by BetterHelp. It can be so easy to get caught up in what everyone else needs from you, and you never take a moment to think about what you need from yourself. When we spend all of our time giving, it can leave us feeling stretched thin and burned out. Well, therapy can give you the tools to find more balance in your life so you can keep supporting others without leaving yourself behind. Therapy's helped me out and can help you too as well. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. So just fill out a brief questionnaire, get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch your therapist at any time for no charge. They make it super easy. So to find more balance, find it with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LockedOnMLB to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash LockedOnMLB. So the Orioles won a wild one, 13-10 over the Royals on Thursday. One of the reasons, not the main reason, but one of the reasons why the Orioles 
had this game end up so close after leading 8-1 to in the third inning is that the bullpen had its first shaky day in a while. After Grayson Rodriguez was not good and came out, CNL Perez gave up a run, Brian Baker somehow had a 14th straight scoreless outing, but he did load the bases with one out. Danny Coulomb saves the day with two strikeouts. Then Coulomb didn't get anybody out in the seventh inning. He allows two runs. Yinier Cano was his usual awesome self. Then Felix Bautista walks two and allows a run in the bottom of the ninth. And that's not what the O's bullpen has looked like recently. They've been absolutely outstanding recently, but a little bit of a rough series for them, I will say. So it's time for the bullpen trust power ranking. It's the third edition of these I've done this year. Basically, I take the Orioles' eight relievers and I put them into three groups. Relievers I trust, relievers I eh, maybe trust right now, and relievers I do not trust. So let's start with the trust category. Number one is easy. Yenier Cano, I would trust to perform surgery on me right now. Yenier Cano, I would trust to literally do anything to fix my car, to negotiate me a new salary at work, to make me dinner every night. Anything Yenier Cano would do, I would trust him to do right now, including getting outs on the mound. Dude's been ridiculous. No runs, 14 innings. He's number one. Brian Baker, I still trust. Yes, the outing on Thursday was bad, but it's still 14 consecutive scoreless outings. The stuff looks really, really good. I'm trusting him. Again, Danny Coulomb had a little bit of a rough seventh inning, but when you think about what he did in the sixth, coming in and getting those back-to-back strikeouts, now, he's still on my trust list because he has the lowest average exit velocity against him of any pitcher in baseball this year. What a find by the Orioles. He had not allowed a barrel until Thursday. The leadoff double he allowed to, I believe it was Michael Garcia in the seventh inning, That was the first barrel he allowed all season. He's only allowed four hard-hit balls this year. He's been very good. And then I teetered on this decision a little bit, but I'm still putting Felix Bautista in the trust column. He still has a 1.84 ERA. He still was the AL reliever of the month. But these last couple of outings, walking the bases loaded and still striking out the side because the stuff is so good, and it's, it's been against two bad lineups at the end of the day, no matter how they were performing in the Tigers and the Royals. But I'm a little worried. His release is off. I think it's something mechanical right now where he's got to work on that release point, but he doesn't have good command of either the fastball or the splitter right now. Really, the only pitch he's commanding is the slider, but he's barely throwing it. The stuff is still so good that I've got him on trust, but one more ninth inning like this, and he might be moved down to the middle category. Now, in the middle category, I have two guys. First is Mike Bauman. He was actually on the trust list, and he was very, very close to staying up there. But Bauman had a little bit of a rough outing on Monday, gave up a three-run homer. Really his first bad outing probably of the year. I would say he's still very, very close to being on the trust list, but I'm going to keep him in maybe trust right now with one good outing again, can bump him back up to the top list. And then, you know what? Shout out to Austin Voth, who for the first time in a while, I am going to move up into the maybe trust list. Now, I certainly don't trust him fully yet because the beginning to the season was an absolute disaster for Austin Voth. So I'm not going to say, yeah, I want him out there in the eighth and ninth inning every single time. But Voth has pitched in a couple of high leverage spots over the last couple of weeks. He has done well. He's kind of settled down the home run balls. He was really just getting unlucky. I mean, Yeah, he was getting hit hard, but that was too many home runs for anyone to give up. It was bound to come down a little bit. 
The spin still looks good. He's just trying to find that command of his curveball right now. I think he's still finding it a little bit, but it's getting better and better. The stuff's getting better. He's throwing more strikes and more quality strikes specifically. And again, I wouldn't use Austin Voth in high leverage unless you absolutely have to right now. But when you look at it, you know, he's three out of his last four appearances are scoreless, including two big scoreless innings his last time out. The only time he's given up a run was in a three-inning performance when he allowed only one run. I'm liking what I'm seeing right now from Austin Voth. And then you have the don't trust category. Number one in there is CNL Perez. Now, he got the Orioles four outs on Thursday, and that was big. He did allow a run. He also allowed an inherited runner to score. But it was a big four outs for the Orioles because I wasn't sure who they were going to get outs from in that wild game Thursday. But he is still really, really struggling despite getting those outs. I mean, he allowed, what, five hard hit balls in that game? Five of them. I mean, he didn't face that many batters and he allowed five hard hit balls. I mean, he is getting scorched right now. He's just not getting swings and misses still this season. And he's been put into like better spots to help him succeed over the last couple of weeks where he, you know, comes in to just face one batter, a lefty, and gets the out. But he's certainly not a high leverage guy. I mean, he's pitching in like the fourth, fifth, and sixth innings right now. I do not trust him. And then Keegan Aiken, I don't trust him. He was teetering for a moment, especially when he had that big 10th inning against Detroit a couple of weeks ago. But the last couple outings have not been good for Keegan Aiken. The stuff just doesn't look as good. And I've got him in the don't trust. And I do think... With Michael Givens and Dylan Tate continuing to throw rehab outings and getting pretty close to coming back, I feel like Aiken is probably going to be the first guy to go and Perez could be the other one. Even though that leaves you only one lefty, they've been your worst two pitchers. They might be the two to go when those two veteran righties rejoin the bullpen. But either way, the Orioles win the series. They take two out of three from the Royals. And next up for the O's, they go to play who I think is probably the best team in the National League right now, the Atlanta Braves. Coming up this weekend, O's and Braves, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Tonight's matchup at 7.20 Eastern Time. Dean Kramer trying to turn things back around. He goes up against Max Freed, who casually has a .45 ERA on the season. Was just on the IL for a bit, but he is back. Braves 22-10, playing some amazing baseball. 7.15 start on Saturday night. Kyle Bradish will look to turn things around, and he'll go against the guy who might be a Cy Young leader. Right now, Spencer Strider. That game's going to be nationally on Fox on Saturday night. Probably Joe Davis on the call. That's going to be fun. And then it's Tyler Wells on Sunday. Looking to bounce back a bit. He'll go up against Bryce Elder, the young righty for the Braves, who somehow, someway has a 175 ERA. Pretty much everybody uh, is getting outs for the Braves staff. That game is also going to be a national game broadcast on NBC and Peacock. So a fun weekend this weekend to see the O's, national TV, national audience, national broadcasters, see what they can do on the road in Truist Park against a great team, a World Series contender in the Atlanta Braves. And then I'll be back with you on Monday, recapping the entire weekend of Orioles baseball. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.